Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today on this episode, I have Victoria Evans here on the podcast with me. We did an awesome interview. She talked about her experience growing up, being taller, bigger than other girls, and feeling this need to be small included. I could relate personally to so much of her story and you know how her eating disorder began. Then we talked about um, her adult life, how she worked at a company, a massive Fortune 500 company that was in the beauty industry and how that affected her greatly and how it eventually led her to do what she's doing now, which is obviously recovered from bulimia and really extreme orthorexia and exercise and all that sort of stuff. And then is helping others to do the same. And we also talked about some interesting topics such as how to accept your body, how to deal with the fear of weight gain, since it's obvious big issue in recovery, you know, what's it, what it's like to gain weight in recovery and what that can create for you. We also talked about including exercise in your recovery and whether you should or shouldn't, is that okay? Cause you know, obviously me and her, we both dealt with over-exercising as well. So I love the conversation. Victoria and I, we could talk all day. Um, whenever we chat on Zoom, we usually end up talking way too much before and after the calls. And also she interviewed me on her podcast, which is called Weighing In on Happy. You can check that out. Uh, go to any podcast platform and just type in Weighing In on Happy. But I was on there yesterday. So you can go check that out after you listen to this and show her podcast some love. And obviously, if you like this episode and you like her episode, give us both uh, a little rating and review if you found it useful. And then also before I start the episode, I wanted to let you guys know that I am hosting Inside My Binge Breakers course, a month-long event called Recovered Girl Summer. Not Hot Girl Summer, Recovered Girl Summer. Summer. I'm so excited for this event on June 6th, which is this Monday. A new video module series is coming out on the course all about how to have your best summer, even when you're struggling with bulimia, how to not um, have the experiences of going to a party and saying no to the ice cream, but then binging on the ice cream and, and pizza later, how to not overindulge in alcohol and substances where it's creating a hindrance for you versus, you know, maybe making it more enjoyable. Uh, we talk about lots of things and also we cover issues like having no structure or having kids at home. I really, I remember so many years where um, I've been sharing on my Instagram, but so many years where bulimia ruined a lot of memories for me. My summer took me away from family gatherings that would have been really great times to have in my memory book. And they're just gone um, because I was so wrapped up in bulimia. And I don't want that for you guys. I want you guys to be able to where are the shorts to eat the food, to enjoy your life and go on. That's another thing we're focusing on in there. It's body confidence. Um, I'm going to be doing some challenges. There's gear getting a whole bonus playlist from me and a book list, a summer reading list. It's, I'm just so excited. It's like one of the best things I feel like I've done in the course, other than creating the course and the program, but, um, and, and also you'll get access to special group coaching calls that is usually only included for private group coaching members. So if you would like to join, all you have to do is go to the link in my bio or go to my website, bingebakers.com and look for a button that says recovered girl summer, or you can just message me on Instagram 
with the words RGS and I will know what you want and I'll send you the information to join. Doors close at um, on Sunday, June 5th at 11.59 Eastern time uh, PM. So yeah, other than that, please enjoy this uh, episode. I think it's a perfect episode to start off the summer. summer. Also, happy Pride Month. I'll be posting some things about the LGBTQ plus community um, in uh, my Instagram just to show some support because obviously, as we all, as you should know, or maybe you don't know, eating disorders really heavily impact the LGBTQ plus community. I'll be posting about that too, but happy Pride Month. All right. Talk to you guys soon in the episode. Bye. So hey, Victoria, everyone listening, I'm here with Victoria Evans. As you heard in the intro, she's a fellow podcaster and coach. She's the podcast host of Weighing In on Happy, which I love the name of that. It's really, really clever. Um, And then she also discusses topics such as intuitive eating, all the way to radical self-love, mental health. Um, all that good stuff. And she can definitely relate to struggles with disordered eating. So that's why I brought her on. And I don't know when this will be coming out, but I am on her podcast as well. So you can go check out her podcast for that episode and more, and then obviously listen here. Um, So Victoria, hello. Thank you for being here. So much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Our conversation last time was really great. So after that, I was like, I can't wait to have her on the show. You know, I was like, at some point we're going to have to like hit the stop record button because I felt like we could have just kept talking and talking and talking because, you know, both of us struggled with bulimia and then worked through it and recovered and now talk about it and coached about it. So yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anytime you find someone who's doing the whole bulimia recovery thing, but also helps people, it's just like, you can get a soapbox forever with it, but let's, um, let's jump into it. If for those of you guys listening, I actually had major technical difficulties before this. So poor Victoria has just been (laughs) waiting around. Um, but she's been very patient. So Victoria, I always like to start out with asking people, what is your story? What sort of awful thing happened to you? (laughs) What led you into this career path? love how you phrased that awful thing happened to you it's a mm-hmm. nice cheer way to start off but also yes. probably relatable depending on people's stories for um who is listening so yeah basically for myself I'm someone who struggled with bulimia on and off for just over 10 years um so it started when I was 12 years old and then until I was about 22 23 um I struggled with it and in the beginning, it wasn't necessarily coming from a space of, I want to lose weight and um, I want to, I, I kind of just stumbled across a book in my library that was talking about how to recover from eating disorders. And mm. it piqued my curiosity. And that's kind of, that's why the first time it had happened. Um, and then later on in my journey, it became much more intense, much more obsessive, multiple, multiple times a day. Um, but the first time it ever happened, it was really kind of just a funny accident that I was curious about it. But going back to before that, um, I'm someone who I don't necessarily have like a really traumatic younger age version story, um, but as probably many people can relate, uh, I felt like I didn't fit in, you know, mm-hmm. I'm someone who's five foot 10 now, but I felt like I was always at height since a oh, young you're five age. Foot 10? I'm yeah, five foot 10. Cool. Yes. The girls in the house. Oh my God. Tell people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like when you're younger and you want to fit in and be cute and loved and all that. And like, 
all your friends are like half the size of you and I've always had broad shoulders and like, you know, a bit more mm-hmm. muscular. And I just was always treated differently, treated older, not, you know, older kids wouldn't want to play with me. They want to play with the younger kids. They were cute. And so from just like a really young age, I had this, this notion, this concept that I was, you know, if I was smaller and cuter and prettier, I would be more loved and more likable and more wanted. And that was, you know, from age five, I remember those early memories out on the playground. And as I continued to get older, that just became more reinforced through, you know, media, through magazines, through friendships, through all those kind of things, just kind of continuing to add on these different layers of you don't fit in, you don't look like the in group or what you're supposed to look like. And if you were to, you know, look this way, not for me meant, you know, losing weight and looking um, thinner and more beautiful and cuter and all that, then I would be happy and loved. Um, And because I was also struggling with a mental health around, you know, 13, 14, 15, that really just compounded this idea that I'm not happy because I'm not skinny. And I'm not mm-hmm. as pretty as other people. And that just became my life mission as it were at that point to, you know, lose weight and be in a certain size body so that I could, you know, think I could finally be happy and finally start living. Yeah. Oh man. I can relate to that story so much. Um, especially what you were saying in, when you're growing up that it is really reinforced that, oh, I'm just smaller. I'm just cuter. I don't fit in. And so many of my friends were, they were all shorter than me and they would all make jokes about how like, oh, Jacqueline's the Amazon or like, geez, Jacqueline's so much bigger. And it's like, they were complimenting me in a way, but they also made me feel so bad about myself. And it's, and then you also said, people treat you like you're older from a young age. And it's this weird thing that happens. They think that you're 18 when you're not and it just warps your whole sense of who you are and self-esteem and it makes sense why you would go to an eating disorder at such a young age yeah totally it's it's funny because until you really take time to kind of look back and reflect you don't realize though those those things that people say or the little things that happen each of them are kind of molding you and creating you into this person that you are and so you know we end up with an eating disorder and we're in the midst of it it's kind of like how did I get here But then when you really take some time to look back on like what has happened in your life, it's like, this is like the obvious conclusion, right? Mm -hmm. I felt out of control. I felt unloved in a society that told me I'd be lovable and fit in and all that. If I looked a certain way, you know, the world feels chaotic. I'm struggling with mental health. I'm going to take control over that by taking control over my body and by shrinking myself and, you know, binging and purging and having it all be secret, I could keep up this illusion of perfection for the world around me, even though I felt like I was dying inside, but I was able to maintain this kind of image that I thought would make me happy. But all it did was, you know, drive disconnection. But the thing with eating disorders is a lot of the time that, you know, people praise the bodies that they create. And for me, I was also struggling with, you know, exercise addiction and, you know, anorexia and orthorexia and, you know, multiple different things at different times. And so a lot of the time, you know, even the behaviors I was doing was being praised the ridiculously long 30 kilometer runs on a Saturday morning, or, you know, eating very small amounts of food and rapid weight loss and asked, you know, how did you do it? You look amazing. And it's like, 
I haven't eaten in, you know, two days and I have to run, you know, over half a marathon to have breakfast. And then I go home and freak out that I ate breakfast and purge everything. And mm-hmm. no one knows that they just see the body and think, Oh, I want to be like you, you know, how do I do that? And, Oh, so toxic, so dangerous. Right. Now, a lot of people I'm sure listening can relate to that. A lot of people feel a lot of shame for that too, when they're getting, they want that compliment, but at the same time, once they get that compliment, they also are like, well, you don't know that I'm cheating or something like that, that I'm doing all the things that you shouldn't do to get there. And that's the reality. It's not that I don't want to say that every professional athlete out there is bulimic or something, but there's a lot of sacrifices they have to make to have those bodies and people don't realize that. Um, yeah, oh yeah. But I was going to ask, um, to, how, if you were in that spiral from 12 to 20 to 23, it's a long time, firstly. And especially when you're 22 and 23 to recover at that age, I was a mess when I was that age, just when I was at the prime of my bulimia. So how did you even begin to repair that relationship with food and get out of that? Yeah. So at the time I was actually working at a fortune 500 beauty company and I was just in this company culture of very, I, feel like, I don't know if you, this, maybe people will know this reference, but ugly Betty. I felt like when I first I started working for this company, show, even though it's right? kind of toxic. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> but I felt like I was the ugly Betty working at this corporation Aww. when I first started. And the corporate culture was very like Vogue ass, like very beautiful, like glass things, you know, whatever it was, is people had different colored eyebrows, like Hunger Game vibes. Like it was very like luxurious, beautiful, glamorous. And I remember coming in there, having been an athlete most of my life and struggling with my weight and just feeling so disconnected. So like no one would be able to talk to me, eating lunch by myself. And anyways, to just give a quick snap of my snap of my story to kind of lead into how I yeah. kind of got through it. Um, was at this point, I kind of decided like, okay, I really need to get my life together. I need to lose weight so I can get into this new city and this new company and be happy and blah, blah, blah. And so I went to Instagram, found the influencer with the, the best abs, who's millions of followers and bought her like weight loss guarantee program. And basically this led to me losing a lot of weight, really unhealthy, really quickly and being posted all over her social media as like the poster child of her program. Like, look at Victoria, she's lost so much weight. And so I was getting all these compliments from strangers and people at work started to take notice. And so I was really on this really, really difficult path where all of a sudden I was being seen. I felt like I was becoming, you know, beautiful and sexy and cute and small and all the things that I'd always desired since I was a little girl but it didn't bring with it any of the happiness that I thought it would. It was these fleeting moments of compliments followed by long moments of distress and anxiety and overwhelm and late nights of you know binging and purging. And it was just such a mess. And so I got to this point where you know, I'd lost my period for several years and my hair was falling out. And, you know, I was just a complete mess. I was so anxious. I wasn't sleeping at night, probably because I wasn't eating, but I didn't know that was the relationship um, between those two things. And I remember I'd woken up at, I think it was about 2 or 3 a.m. Um, on a, in the morning, and I just kind of slept, walked to the kitchen, and I had coffee in my kitchen, you know, like, and not much else. And I had some uh, trail mix. 
remember having a couple handfuls of trail mix and freaking out. I was like, what am I going to do? Like I have to get rid of this. And so I remember like I crawled to the closet, put on my running gear and started running through the streets of Montreal at like 3am. And I decided like 30 kilometers was an adequate punishment for like, you know, having a couple handfuls of trail mix. And so by the time I was finished, it was about 6am and I was at the top of Mount Royal in Montreal, which is like a kind of a small mountain there seeing the sunrise over the city and remember having this moment of like, oh my God, like I am never going to be in a body that's going to be small enough that I'm going to be happy. I keep telling myself each day, like tomorrow, no more purging. Like I'm going to be better. Like I'm going to figure it out. And every single night I'd have to do it again. I just kept losing so much confidence and so much trust in myself. Every time I tell myself it's the last time and it wasn't. So I said, like, I can't do this alone anymore. Been trying to recover on my own. I can't just slow anymore. Um, and so after that moment, I ran down the hill and called a disorder hotline in Montreal, spent like the whole day talking to this woman and like crying and whatever. And it was the first time it ever like opened up and talked about what was going on. And so for me, one of the biggest, most important things, and it started, you know, my recovery journey was breaking that silence breaking the shame that I just allowed myself to be like enveloped in and allowing myself to share what was going on and realizing like so many people actually struggle with this. Mm-hmm. You know, we think we're so alone and struggling, you know, with bulimia or whatever we might be struggling with when it comes to food or our body, but it's so universal. And I'm sure as you can relate as a coach, like we hear every single day, people coming to us. And it's like, Oh my God, if I would have known that so many people were struggling um, when I was struggling, I would have spoken up sooner or gotten help sooner because I had so much shame and disappointment in myself that I couldn't figure it out on my own and I couldn't just fix it. Um, yeah. So that would be probably one of the first things. I have many different things, but probably yeah. one of the first things um, is talking about it, whether it be like with a coach, a therapist, a counselor, a family member, a friend that you can trust, um, listening to podcasts, even though it's not talking about it, but like even being here listening to this is such an amazing first step um, because you're allowing yourself to hear other stories and like giving yourself some inspiration and giving yourself some just some knowledge that it's you know you can recover you can't get through this yeah it helps you feel less alone when you just start to listen mm-hmm. to podcasts I was when in my recovery I started filling my head with podcasts of not just bulimia recovery mm-hmm. but like success stories in general because it was like oh there are people out there doing things that I want to do and also oh there are people recovering and it normalizes it more um is thinking when you called that eating disorder hotline I never did that and I wish I had, um, thankfully, you know, I recovered anyway, but I can't imagine how scary that must've been to call them and talk about it for the first time. And you're right. When as a coach, it's a real privilege because you get to hear story after story of people struggling and you get to be exposed so much and normalize it so much. And the people calling don't get to hear everyone else's stories, which is kind of unfortunate. It's like group coaching is helpful as well, but it's crazy. What a crazy story. I was thinking also in that company that you were in, you were already hired. Like they hired you as is without that weight loss. And so do you think if you had had a different mindset, um, just being like in acceptance with yourself, would you have had a much better time at that company, even though they had all the beauty standards? Totally. Like 
it's interesting, right? Like we perceive the world based off of the beliefs we have, right? And mm-hmm. my belief was that I am not lovable because of my body size. No one wants to be friends with me because I look this way. I am not cool. I'm not sexy. I'm not desirable. And of course, I created that reality for myself in that working environment because I thought those things. Mm-hmm. And as, you know, towards the end of when I was working at that company and I was going through recovery, I started to really see not only that company, but just the entire world in a very different light. Because I'd spent so much of my life just so deep in diet culture, not even knowing diet culture was a thing, just thinking this is my reality. This is everyone's reality. Um, Until, you know, going through recovery and now being like, oh my God, like I used to believe that people would only want to be my friend or like me if I looked a certain way. And it was such a difficult and sad way to live because it puts so much pressure on me to look a certain way, to behave a certain way. And humans were not perfect. And so mm-hmm. for me, you know, when I was gaining, you know, a pound or whatever, I was like, oh, I would make eye contact with people and I'd lose the pound. I felt like more confident, like so much of who I was and personality, everything was tied to the number on the scale and how quote unquote, well, good I'd eaten that day. And it just made my world so small and didn't allow me to realize like there's so many more important things and people don't actually care about food and body, like your food and body, you know, and if they do, it's just because they have projected their own insecurities around food and body onto Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It just, when it, what you say about you creating your own reality, I see that a lot too. It is absolutely true. And it's so sad to think of younger Victoria walking around that company. People probably wanted to be your friend and you were like, I'm not acceptable. And you, you isolate yourself. I remember in college, I so desperately wanted friends, so desperately wanted to socialize, but I constantly was thinking the belief that like, I need to lose weight. And then I can be like the sexy college girl that has everything put together and gets invited to all the parties. But I was constantly taking up my mind with weight loss, making weird food recipes at home, not eating, exercising late at night, like you were describing too, and wondering why the hell I didn't have a social life. And it's like, well, it's because you're like isolating yourself this way. And then the funny part was that when people actually did invite me places, I was a total weirdo because I wasn't practicing socializing. I didn't, I, all I thought they cared about was how I looked. So I didn't have anything to say to people. I was just weird. <laughs> just yeah. reinforces that belief. So it's so interesting you say that. Yeah. And I would be so worried. Like, oh, they think I look fat and ugly. And what are they eating? Should I eat that much? Can I eat as much as them? No, they're smaller than me. I have to eat less than they are so that people don't, like I would be the mental chatter that would go on in social situations was exhausting like Mm -hmm. you know like you're saying it just became like a self-fulfilling prophecy of not you know creating friendships or bonding or creating connection because my idea that I couldn't connect until I had a certain body size was preventing me from connecting in the first place Mm -hmm. yeah and you think it's because of that but it's it's like correlation not causation (laughs) exactly exactly um for the sake of time I want to ask you about um I I I'm curious because I had I had several topics I wanted to ask you about, but I'm gonna go with the weight gain and recovery because I know that that one is a big one. I have talked to so many people about it this week, actually. So, what was your experience of gaining weight, and how did you deal with that? Mm-hmm. I think 
for me as like a science-based intuitive eating coach, one of the biggest things that helped me recover was understanding the science behind everything. Like what was actually going on in my brain? Why was I so deathly afraid of gaining weight from a real biological standpoint? And so how our brain works, it's very much driven by oxytocin, which is the neurotransmitter for bonding, connection, love, all that kind of thing. It's also for childbirth, but for the purpose of the conversation, we're just going to kind of narrow it into bonding, connection, love. Um, basically, humans are a social species or a tribal species. And so our bodies have been primed and designed to want to be bonding and connection in a group for survival. Because thousands of years ago, if we were not conforming to the group, if we were not doing what the person who's leading is saying, if we're not fitting in with everyone around us, we would essentially be possibly kicked out of the tribe and likely die, which mm -hmm. means we have the genes pass forward to today. The people who conformed the best, fit into the group the best, were like the rest of the group and didn't really rock the boat, weren't really different. So now fast forward to today, our brains have not evolved since that time. You know, recent, you know, human history, when we're not facing constant threats, we're not necessarily in that kind of tribal living, that's very recent given how quickly our brain can actually evolve, which is not very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, it's a shame how so, fast technology evolves versus our brains. It's just right. <laughs> our brains are like overwhelmed right now, like mm -hmm. just constant stimuli, overwhelm. Um, and so when it comes to weight change, one of the things that helped me understand was that why I'm so deathly afraid of gaining weight? Remember, you know, a therapist said to me, if the difference between being happy is getting 10 pounds, do you do it? And I said, I'd rather die. Um, is why yeah. we're so afraid of it. It's because our brain thinks that means that we're going to be kicked out of the tribe. We're going to be isolated and then we're going to die. That's like that whole train of thought of like, oh, people, people aren't going to like me or blah, blah, blah. And then I'm going to die alone, right? That's like literally our primitive brain going into that freak out spiral of like disconnection. So it's important to understand, like when we say that, you know, I'm afraid of gaining weight and people aren't going to, you know, I'm going to be fat and blah, blah, blah. That whole dialogue is based around the fact that your brain sees that as unsafe because of your societal conditioning, not because it's actually a threat to your survival. So regulating your nervous system. So doing different things, like whether that be like four, seven, eight breathing, whether that be doing, um, you know, checking with yourself throughout the day. Like I have a a lot of different things for this, but basically mm -hmm. reassuring yourself like that fear of waking is actually coming from your primitive desire, primitive need to want to fit in to society that's telling you that you should look a certain way. Um, but like we we're saying before, we've kind of created a reality for ourselves, a perception of reality that we have to look a certain way to be loved and fit in. So I had to change what that looked like, meaning I had to recognize like my fear of waking is coming from this like old survival permanent need. The second part of that is I've created a reality for myself where the only thing I see is people on my social media feed who look nothing like me, mm -hmm. who have bodies that my brain is telling me I don't fit into. And so what I had to do, like one of the most, you know, simplest, but also really important things I had to do was create like social media feeds, create, you know, podcast environments, like audiobooks, reading books, create an environment for myself where I felt safe to be myself, where I didn't feel like I was outside of the group, outside of the tribe. So following accounts of people with, you know, my size or larger, following people who talked about recovery and life on the other side of it, you know, following different accounts that maybe realize what life could be and what was possible for me in a larger body on the other side of recovery. Because if my feed was to only ever remain, you know, influencers doing 
hip thrusters, giant asses. I don't know if I can swear on this. Um, we're fine. Yeah, that's okay. that's world. Um, <laughs> um, then my brain would see that as unsafe, right? I don't fit into this tribe. Um, I'm not safe in this environment. There, I'm going to get kicked out. I'm going to die, right? Versus creating an environment for yourself, talking about it, being in communities where you're with other people recovering, where you feel safe, where you can feel like it's safe to be yourself. Then all of a sudden, it's your brain feels like it's possible to recover because it's no longer a threat to survival. Yeah. Um, normalizing things again and and also recognizing this is coming from an old thing. I think when you give something truth, because a lot of times we just, the fears that we have, the thoughts we have are so unconscious. And we don't really realize where they're coming from, but we've spent so long believing them. They feel again, real and we don't question them. Once you start questioning mm-hmm. them, you start understanding, oh, this is actually why. It's not because that's real. It's just because of, you know, how you're programmed and what you've been led to believe and what you've practiced over years and years. At least even just knowing that, even if you didn't do anything else can be helpful because then you're like, oh, I'm kind of following a false belief, but then actually taking action on it and shifting your environment, making your circumstances around you different is really great. Social media is but I don't think people realize how powerful it can be. And it's such a great tool for in immersing yourself in an environment that's supportive for you, but it also can be such a vice, which I think everyone knows and really, really toxic. If you are constantly filling yourself with, like you said, things that make you feel like shit, basically <laughs> like other people who, you know, also a lot of Instagram workouts this is just a side note, but Instagram workouts on the reels, a lot of them are trash, like absolute trash. They don't have any programming involved. They're like, do a thousand burpees. It's like, what? That's not going to be helpful for lifting. I don't. Yeah. And you know, since you lift weight oh. as well. So silly. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love lifting heavy. Like that's like, even for me, another thing was like working out to like take up space and feel strong and empowered versus to try to disappear and shrink myself. And so something that helped me, I don't know if maybe for other people listening, but something that was really helpful for me was actually getting out of the gym environment for a little while and trying CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no mirrors at CrossFit. You can't see what you look like. It's a very welcoming community culture. Um, so I was able to kind of get rid of the, how does my abs look today in the mirror? How does my arms look when I'm working out, which was very obsessive um, and really get into learning the form of different, you know, Olympic weightlifting and working out really in a community and feeling connected to people around me while also not becoming obsessive about what it looked like, because I think working out is amazing for our mental health and to feel good. But when we're in recovery, it can also be taken to different levels of extreme and get mm-hmm. obsessed about what we look like. So cross it for me. I don't cross it as of right now anymore because I don't have a, a box near me. Um, but that's just like another thing I wanted to throw in there because I found it yeah. really helpful for me. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because I definitely struggled with obsessive exercising too, but I don't think to the same degree of some people. And then one thing I didn't know that CrossFit wasn't like a, a no mirror zone. Is that true of all CrossFit gyms? I've never been to a CrossFit gym with mirrors. Wow. Like, okay. Around the world. I've been, I've probably been to like 19, 20 different boxes around the world. Um, I've never seen a, a mirror there. So interesting. Yeah. Cause like mirrors, they can, obviously, you know, you go to the gym and you see people almost like right. making out with their reflection. It's really weird, yeah. but mirrors can be helpful in the sense of checking your form sometimes, but I can see totally. how that would be crazy beneficial when you are trying not to obsess and body check all the time to go to a place where mm-hmm. it's like, no mirrors, you get to focus on what you're doing right here. How did you, um, 
how soon did you there's also get coaches in? like coaches will check your form that's another thing as well like if you're not you're not looking oh. at it to check your form but you have coaches walking around checking your form all the time so for me I'm like I have way better form and I used to do cross it with no mirrors than in a gym with mirrors because the coach would be like shoulders down back you know whatever whatever so anyways mm-hmm. <laughs> well yeah and you have to rely on when they're checking your form and you're just focused on that you do when you are lifting you can't constantly be checking your form in the mirror you have to know what it feels like but anyway we're getting off a side tangent um I wanted to ask you about exercise how did you how soon did you include exercise back into your recovery so I never fully took it out okay. um which everyone can be very different like I had lost my period and you know doctors were very like stop working out um but for me cutting out working out of all kind after being an athlete my whole life like I played NCAA volleyball in university um I was very active for me that was really scary um Mm -hmm. like not necessarily scary from the weight standpoint but like I was it was too much for me um to have an identity crisis around I'm no longer this girl who's gonna be super thin in the eating disorder but now I'm also no longer a girl who like can work out Mm -hmm. and I needed to kind of you know, change little things, have these little micro changes, um, instead of this complete all at once, who am I moment? So I I continue to work out. I massively scaled back. Like I used to be like, I limited myself to runs no longer than five kilometers. Um, Mm -hmm. I was doing that like once a week. Um, I was, if I was going to the gym, it was only going to be two max three times a week, 45 minutes. Like I set very hard parameters and I really checked in on, okay, I'm like, why do I want to do this? Like, why do I want to do the extra set right now? Why do I want to do the extra thing? And really checking in, like, is this coming from me? And a question I used to ask myself was, if I knew this, if this wouldn't change my body looked, would I still do it? And if the answer was no, I knew I had to stop doing that exercise immediately at that moment because that meant mm-hmm. I was doing it for the wrong reasons. But if I was going to go for a long walk, if I wanted to just lift some heavy shit because it felt good to, mm-hmm. um, that was okay for me. But when I started to notice, I'm like, okay, I want to keep going or a little bit longer, or a little bit harder, um, consistently checking in with like, okay, if I knew this wasn't going to change my body. Would I still do it? Yes or no? No. Okay. You need to stop, take a step back. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really, really good way to put it. Uh, I never stopped exercising as well in my recovery. Um, I did scale back as well, but I like what you said about having strong parameters and checking your intention behind it. Because I think that makes all the difference if you're working on this punishment, if you're working out because you think um, you have to or something like that, that's when it's time to reel it in. Um, I, I keep talking about this, but I posted a reel a while ago about like stopping exercise and recovery and how you shouldn't have to. Um, but I've gotten so much backlash on social media about it. So it's so good to talk to someone who does continue exercising. And I agree that sometimes, you know, people out there listening, you do have to stop exercising, especially if you're like, it's going to kill you. Um, but I think there's a lot of ways you can incorporate exercise. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's totally depending on the person. And, and as well, I think a common thing that I would like a myth as it were is like, if I'm going to go through recovery, it's almost like you have to abandon being a healthy person. Sometimes people think, you know, like I'm just, if I start to go through recovery, then I have to eat all of the the junk foods and I have to eat, not work out any more junk food with air quotes. Um, I have to, you know, go to this kind of complete other pendulum swing side of things. 
And I don't think, I think that also creates a lot of fear and recovery that you have to stop doing those that are really kind of healthy habits. Rather, it's understanding what's the motivator behind them and, you know, challenging them a little bit um, and maybe taking the foot off the gas a little bit about what those things are. But I think, Mm -hmm. you know, movement, eating nourishing foods, like all those things are such a huge part of recovery, getting enough sleep, you know, like all those kind of things are so huge in recovery. It's not just, you know, going to pendulum swing the other side and now I'm never working out and never eating foods that make me feel good at all. And like, no, like I think recovery and what I teach, you know, intuitive eating is about finding that balance and finding that middle zone of, you know, eating foods that make you feel good, eating foods that are delicious that maybe don't always make you feel great, but knowing that's okay as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's a lot more balanced than what it looks like when you're in bulimia. I talk about this a lot too, but people think it's just letting go recovering and it is letting go of certain things, but to introduce a whole lot more health and wellness into your life and put you in a better spot. And honestly, I don't know if you agree, but I feel so much more in control of food than I ever did when I was struggling with bulimia, which is the exact opposite of what you think recovery is going to be when you are trying to recover. Totally. Like I was like, just thinking about this, like earlier, um, like, I have so much food in my house that I used to be like genuinely, like, how do people keep cookies in their house? Like how do right. people keep ice cream? How do people keep chocolate? Like, I was like, genuinely, like, I wanted to like study them. Like there was some kind of a zoo animal, like, you know, like mm-hmm. a clipboard yeah. and like, how do you just have those cookies in your cupboard? Um, and now I'm that person who was like, the cookies in their cupboard and the ice cream and the chocolate. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, all those things are there. And like, I genuinely don't really often feel like eating them because I just don't really feel like it. And because I'm not restricting them anymore. Like why I felt out of control around food is because of restriction. And now that I can have it, I have as much as I want of it. I can always get more cookies or get another cake or eat as much as I want of anything. I don't feel that need to have it. I don't feel that scarcity of anymore. Um, and bulimia was just so much scarcity, so much restriction. I can't have it. I can't have it. I can't have it. I can't have it. Fuck it. I'm going to eat everything. Tell myself <laughs> that, sorry, tomorrow, I'm not going to have any more of it. Today's the last day. Go all out. You know, I'll be good tomorrow. And then starting tomorrow, like trying again until about seven o'clock at night <sighs> and then full blown going again right? Um, not understanding it was that like, this is the last time I'm going to, you know, I can't have this food anymore. And this is the last time I'm going to eat it. Like that scarcity and restriction mindset was really driving the binging, which then for me drove the bulimia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's basically marketing, like scarcity marketing tactics, but with yeah. eating disorders, it's, it's not yeah. like there's a reason people like it works, but not necessarily doesn't necessarily create the best behaviors with purchasing. So it's kind of funny that in eating disorders, we do the same thing. All right. I want to ask you one final question, which is you've already given a lot of great advice. This conversation has been incredibly helpful, but what would you say to someone out there who's struggling with bulimia, who wants recovered, that sort of stuff? First of all, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. You're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. You've resorted to a coping mechanism that is not necessarily serving you at this point. And, you know, it's time to, to move on and realize that there's more to this life that you can discover. And so for me, one thing that really helped was not skipping eating. Like this is a super simple thing and I could go Mm -hmm. on, but like, um, 
I actually used to set like a timer on my phone to eat every two hours, even if it was only like a little something, but just to have that consistency, just to have that my brain, my body knew I was going to get some form of food every few hours for me, it was very reassuring, was very relaxing um, because I was no longer not allowing myself to eat all day and then going on massive binges at night. And so once my body started to realize it was going to get consistent food, consistent nutrients um, throughout the day, it started to feel less out of control, less obsessive, less scared, less worried. Um, so if you're struggling and you're trying to compensate for a binge and purge last night by not eating during the day, no, that's the absolute last thing you want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, eating breakfast, even if it's just like a little something to just get something in your stomach um, than eating, you know, throughout the day, because that, you know, depriving that restriction, that scarcity of food is setting you up for your next binge. So. Yeah. Scarcity really, I know that it's used a lot in eating disorder things. And I, I always used to hear that in blame recovery and think, yeah, but whenever I eat, I just continue eating. Like it doesn't matter how much food I get. And, and I don't know, like I know I, li- I intellectually know that I can have food whenever I want, but it, and I was like telling myself that isn't going to help, but now you, you kind of have to prove to yourself that it is actually true. Cause of course you don't believe that cause you never let yourself have food when you need it or want it. So having like having regular eating times and sometimes setting a timer is very helpful, recommended a lot in recovery, like every two hours, every three to four hours, really good advice. And then also I like what you said, it's time to move on. So simple. And I don't think he meant it for me to be this like big statement, but I think saying that it's time to move on is sometimes something that someone needs to hear because they're holding on so desperately. And it's like, no, it's time to let go. It's, this isn't serving you anymore. Move on. So really well put. Thank you. It wasn't even, yeah, wasn't even trying to be like pointing with that, but I'm glad it came through that way. <laughs> sometimes those are the best ones. Like the little statements you make, it's like, oh, that yeah. resonates. Um, so where can people find you, Victoria? Yeah. So as you mentioned earlier, I also have a podcast that you are on. So whenever this releases, it probably will be released. So that's called weighing in on happy. Um, I also have Instagram that is at Victoria Evans official. So if you listen to this, come say hi. Um, and I also have TikTok that is at intuitive eating with Vic. Vic is V I C. Um, and then I have a website for all my programs and courses and stuff. And that's www.victoriaevansofficial.com. So yeah. That's okay. It. Yeah. All pretty consistent. TikTok. <laughs> I recently made a channel on there. It's the worst, like because the eating disorder, eating disorder tags are being kind of banned on there. And then also in the eating disorder recovery things, the tags are supposed to help people have a whole bunch of like disordered shit on it. And I was like, what is this? I put my first one of my like reels from Instagram on there and they immediately banned it. I was like, I don't know what to do here. (laughs) Yeah. I like use a lot of like intuitive eating, food freedom kind of stuff Mm -hmm. um, as my tags seems to have gone okay. Like I have like a decent following on there. Um, But yeah, I don't even try to touch eating disorder land, even though I know it would probably reach. But like uh, with that point, a lot of people who are struggling with eating disorders don't necessarily, like when I was struggling with bulimia, I wasn't necessarily calling myself someone who struggled with eating disorder, mm-hmm. right? I was kind of in a bit of um, sort of looking for denial around my eating disorder. So I, think I was constantly looking up weight loss advice just all the time, right. which is why so I always like, use weight loss tags in my Instagram. 
exactly that's exactly the point like you know mm -hmm. whether like whatever social platform it is like sometimes the hashtag is not necessarily the one that makes sense for like what you do but rather the person who's looking for it so yeah exactly yeah. yes a marketing advice from victoria and i about <laughs> how to get your things seen all right thank you so much for being on the show victoria what for having me